Good morning and welcome to this Euractive online event, which is kindly supported by PKEE, the Polish Electricity Industry Association. My name is Frédéric Simon, I'm the Energy and Environment Editor of Euractive, and I will have the pleasure of moderating today's debate titled Hydrogen, Sun and Wind, which ones can make the best contribution to Europe's energy transformation. Now, the title of today's event is a little bit provocative, uh, I suppose. I don't think anyone is suggesting that hydrogen is in any way better than solar uh, or wind power. But uh, it does highlight an important uh, debate which is taking place right now about the role of uh, the technologies that will be needed to support the transition to an energy system that is going to be largely dominated by renewable energies uh, in the years to come. And this is where, of course, uh, hydrogen can play uh, an important role. Now, to discuss this topic today, I have the pleasure of welcoming a distinguished panel of speakers. But before I introduce them to you, let me first give the floor to Adam Guibourget, Poland's Under Secretary of State for Climate and the Environment, who will give us a keynote speech. Mr. Guibourget, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation to, to speak uh, this morning. Um, and I, I, I believe I do agree with you on, on the, the principle that this uh, question is, uh, is a bit uh, provocative. And, and I would say that, that all three technologies are very important in our transition and, and they have a very uh, prominent role in our national uh, plans uh, in the energy policy that we have adopted that highlights uh, the main milestones and, and uh, in investment directions for the transformation of our energy system in Poland until 2040. And we see that all these three technologies have a very significant role to play to ensure the, the transition. And they're in a way complementary, but they also cannot uh, 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 work on, on their own. And need, we need also other um, uh, technologies to, to, to be able to reach uh, our ambitions, um, our common ambition as, as the EU to become climate neutral by, by 2050. And um, in, in Poland, we have um, so developed this uh, energy policy, which uh, indicates uh, the, the main um, directions uh, for um, the two decades to come. And one of the priorities in our um, energy policy is to uh, build uh, a new energy system, zero emission energy system, uh, by uh, uh, 2040 of a compar uh, comparable size uh, to the one that we have today, that is around uh, 40 gigawatt of installed capacity, but that would be fully zero emission, so relying mostly on renewables and, and also on, uh, on, on nuclear. Um, and we see, indeed, uh, a huge potential uh, in... Um, in, uh, in renewables, and we have seen that in the past in, 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 in Poland, uh, with photovoltaics increasing very significantly uh, over the past year, uh, uh, mainly thanks to uh, investments from households supported by um, a, a government program called My, My Electricity, which has been very successful in mobilizing investments in, in individual households. Uh, and we've seen um, at the end of, of last year, almost uh, we had almost uh, four gigawatts of uh, installed uh, PV capacity, about uh, about uh, three fourths of which 
uh, being in 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 private uh, in private households, uh, and, and we and we intend to to continue that uh, that uh, direction in um, in the future. Continue to support the development uh, of uh, renewables, uh, but at the same time also uh, encourage um, the use of this electricity um, as much as possible to satisfy uh, the needs of these households. And because we see this can have uh, a significant uh, potential to reduce emissions further in heating, for ex for instance, when you combine this with heat pumps or in transport when it's combined with um, uh, electric vehicles. Um, so so this um, these technologies have even an interest uh, for emission reductions beyond the energy sector. And this is, I think, very, uh, very important uh, to, to, to underline. Um, wind is another uh, priority in, in, um, in our plans. And we have just recently adopted uh, a national law to support the development of uh, offshore wind energy. We plan to reach uh, almost six gigawatt of installed capacity by 2030 um, in wind. We are currently working on the, the implementation legislation needed uh, to uh, um, enable the, the support scheme for these, uh, for these investments. Uh, obviously, um, the big advantage of uh, of this offshore wind compared to to, to photovoltaic is the the greater stability in the the, the production profile of um, of, uh, of wind energy, uh, uh, which makes uh, the recourse to uh, uh, other uh, 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 backup uh, um, sources uh, less uh, significant or or energy uh, uh, storage. And, and uh, hydrogen can be one of these uh, solutions where um, that can be used uh, to stabilize the, the work of the grid, to, to, uh, to store energy, and that could be used also to, um, to further uh, um, reduce emissions uh, in other sectors. And, and we see that potential, uh, very significant potential uh, also in Poland. Uh, there are uh, plans by uh, several uh, companies in Poland to develop uh, hydrogen uh, production using um, excess uh, uh, electricity from uh, from renewables to produce uh, uh, hydrogen and and help uh, uh, stabilize the grid by by doing so and will um, will we have uh, presented a draft uh, um, hydrogen strategy in, until 2030 uh, earlier this year uh, where we we assume we could uh, reach um, two gigawatts of um, uh, electrolyzers uh, by uh, by 2030, um, because if if hydrogen has to be a, a solution for the the future, we should also be aiming for um, the solutions where it can uh, uh, it can be produced with as uh, little emissions as as possible, and this is what we are uh, uh, looking for. And at the same time, uh, we should support. The development of uh, demand for for hydrogen, and and we are doing that as well in in Poland by supporting, for instance, um, the um, acquisition of uh, uh, hydrogen uh, powered um, buses for uh, public transportation in cities, uh, and uh, and and developing also uh, uh, charging infrastructure and other uh, uh, application of um, of hydrogen. Um, we'll, we see that uh, um, at, at the same time as we develop the, the production capacity in, uh, um, in hydrogen uh, with uh, limited uh, emissions, uh, we need to, to support also 
uh, demand for for hydrogen that will be also critical in um, in uh, bringing down costs uh, of uh, of this uh, technology if there is uh, enough uh, demand uh, for for the product and for, to that extent it is um, highly important that we do not um, differentiate the the different types of hydrogen when we support uh, uh, for instance the, the increased use in hydrogen in long distance transport or in or in energy um, but rather uh, uh, focus on, on developing um, uh, demand for for uh, hydrogen uh, uh, while um, investing in uh, new uh, low emission uh, uh, sources uh, of hydrogen uh, in order to be able to um, um, uh, have access in the future uh, to uh, a hydrogen that is a uh, that has a very very uh, low carbon uh, content and uh, this will be uh, a significant uh, also element in our uh, in our plans to uh, reach um, uh, climate neutrality by 2050 as the EU and we see that these three technologies uh, are of uh, of crucial importance and we have clearly identified these technologies uh, in our own plans uh, in uh, in Poland uh, and we see that th there is here um, beyond the uh, say the technical um, aspects of, uh, of managing the, the, the electricity system uh, beyond the environmental aspects of reducing emissions there is also a very significant economic dimension uh, to these investments um, as we see huge opportunities in uh, creating new jobs uh, in um, the, the the regions most affected by the transformation uh, also in um, creating new growth opportunities for for companies in Poland and in Europe um, as we uh, develop these technologies that uh, that we will need uh, not only in in, in Europe uh, but also uh, all over the world um, in order to to reach the, the objectives of the the Paris agreement so this is uh, in a nutshell um, a few words on on our perspective on the um, on the transition and the use of these uh, three technologies but i uh, very uh, much look forward to the debate today and wish you a very uh, uh, interesting discussion thanks mr giborger uh, if you have time for maybe one or two quick follow-up questions um sure so uh, you just said uh, for 2030 you're looking at developing uh, two gigawatts of uh, electrolyzers um, that is part of the plans which are currently being discussed, I understand, um, in Poland for uh, a hydrogen strategy. Can you maybe uh, give us a sense for how much hydrogen by 2030 or 2050 uh, Poland intends to have from electrolyzers on the one hand and maybe from other sources such as natural gas reforming uh, on the other? I think that until until 2030, we are really looking at the very uh, beginning of the of the road. Today, we are already a very significant producer of uh, of hydrogen. It is mostly um, uh, using steam reforming, as you as you said. So it is uh, a, a technology that is uh, still um, generating some uh, some emissions, and and we will need much more uh, uh, capacity. Uh, production capacity in uh, in low emission uh, uh, hydrogen uh, if we want uh, this uh, technology to be uh, viable and in, in the long run and really helpful to reach um, our um, 
uh, our uh, uh, objectives. But at the beginning, in this uh, in this first uh, um, decades, uh, it, it will still be uh, um, a very uh, limited uh, element in um, in um, in our um, energy uh, system, and it will gain in importance uh, rather in the next uh, decades, both in terms of of quantity and and as a as a, an energy storage uh, capacity. Thank you. Uh, maybe one final question. Uh, how much of uh, Poland's gas infrastructure uh, needs to be retrofitted uh, to transport uh, hydrogen? Because this is one of the uh, questions which uh, is being debated currently uh, in Brussels. Have you identified uh, the needs and maybe also the costs uh, associated with, uh, with this, the retrofitting of infrastructure? And how can you uh, ensure that um, when you do that, this does not create some sort of lock-in into uh, fossil fuels for the years to come? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think in the, indeed um, uh, it is important when we look at investment in, in gas to remember on the the, the impact on the, the, the short run on the on the on the, on the, the longer run. Um, to, to some extent. Um, uh, gas is generating um, wood is generating immediate uh, reductions it can be uh, uh, generating uh, uh, emissions uh, lower by by about half or even 60 percent compared to um, the equivalent capacity in in in, um, in, in coal um, but uh, but we need also to have a, a plan for the for the future so we cannot uh, um, have uh, uh, too much of a reliance on a, on a source that is still emissive, and this is something we've uh, we've included in our in our forecast, uh, trying not to um, not to build um, uh, more uh, um, capacity in this regard uh, than what is um, uh, uh, what is an unavoidable, and also have plan as how to how to decarbonize this this gas. And this is why we have also introduced in in our energy policy the objectives of. Um, of uh, coming up to 10% uh, of uh, decarbonized gases in the in the gas network, um, to 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 find to look for a solution in the longer run also for that uh, that source. Um, a big application that we see of um, of gas and a sector where the decarbonization is particularly challenging is the heating sector, uh, where today uh, for uh, district heating facilities we do not really have um, a solution that would be a fully uh, zero emission, uh, which we could use at scale uh, across the whole country. Uh, you can think, obviously, of of, of waste or or, or or biomass, but um, but I think you you would agree with me that the, the potential of these uh, technologies are are rather limited, and and if we would um, uh, if we would rely on on these technologies to uh, to produce the heat uh, uh, we need in the long run, we uh, we um, we may end up having problems with reaching our recycling targets for once, and and we may end up uh, um, uh, having no more, no more forests in in Europe. So, I think that uh, we need to um, uh, to look also at these uh, at these constraints, and uh, and to look for the the the, the, the smallest possible or the best uh, solutions in terms of um, uh, emissions intensity. Of the of these technologies, and this is why uh, we see 
uh, a, a potential also in, in hydrogen as one of the, the vectors that, that, could, uh, that could help decarbonize uh, the, the use of, uh, of gas. Thank you very much, Mr. Guy-Bourget, for the time that uh, you took uh, to, to give us this keynote and answer uh, those questions. It was really a pleasure to have uh, you with us today. Uh, we wish you a very pleasant day. So we can now turn back to our panel discussion. And so let me start by introducing our speakers. Joining us today for this event is Paola Pino from the European Commission's DG Energy. Hildegard Bentele, a German MEP from the CDU party. Barbara Mariani from the European Environmental Bureau. Christian Ruby from Trade Association Euroelectric. And Pavel Panetta, Executive Director at the Toron Group, the Polish electricity company. Welcome to all of you uh, and thanks for joining us today. We'll start this virtual conference with a series of quick opening statements from the speakers and then uh, we'll turn to a Q&A uh, panel discussion that I will moderate, also taking a few questions from the audience. To put a question to the panelists, just click on the Ask button on Vimeo and put your question in writing. Um, I think that's all for me for the introduction, so let's start straight away with the introduction statements with Mrs. Uh, Paula Pino. The floor is yours. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, thank you, Frédéric, for your introduction. Very uh, nice to be with you. Um, thank you for the, for the invitation. And, um, and thank you also for the provocation, uh, starting with this uh, debate. Um, and and uh, as you may be not surprised, we do not think in the European Commission that there's um, the best source among these that you notice, uh, that you noted, but it's really a combination of, of the various uh, energy sources. Uh, we have come up uh, last year with uh, two very important strategies, one on the energy system integration and one on the hydrogen, on hydrogen, which were published in July. And ever since, a lot has happened uh, in all uh, EU institutions. We've seen council conclusions on hydrogen. We've uh, seen the German presidency conclusion on the energy system integration. We've had opinions on both strategies by uh, the European Parliament's Envy Committee. And now we're expecting opinions from the European Parliament in the next months. Um, we also completed a number of public consultations because you know that we are preparing um, a set of uh, uh, legislation uh, that we're calling Fit for 55, meaning uh, what is it that we need to put in place in terms of regulatory framework to deliver on an increased ambition of at least 55% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. And we see that over the past uh, month and also on the basis of our public consultations and the discussions with the member states, with the parliament, that views are starting uh, to converge. And clearly, in terms of pathways to decarbonization, we do not see energy efficiency, electrification and renewable fuels as alternative pathways, but really as complementary options, which will come in uh, in different uh, ways and uh, to tackle uh, different challenges. And amidst uh, these pathways, hydrogen has indeed received particular attention and very rightly so. It has uh, no CO2 emissions at the point of consumption. 
and it is a very versatile option to help decarbonize a range of sectors, uh, in particular also those who are uh, especially difficult to decarbonize. Now, hydrogen is not an energy source. It cannot be compared with solar, with wind, or with natural gas for that uh, matter. But it can be used in specific applications where we do not really have alternatives, such as some applications in industry, um, heavy duty, or long distance transport applications. But even within these applications, we believe that first and foremost, we need to continue to apply the energy efficiency first principle, ensuring that really we make the most out of our limited resources. And, and, and we, we very often forget to, to go about it in terms of energy efficiency. Um, now, it has also become clear that setting targets for renewables and for hydrogen for that matter is not um, uh, sufficient to achieve our targets. We do need a more comprehensive approach, uh, what we like to call a holistic approach, and we need to look at a range of policy options to help the upscaling of renewable and low carbon energy, including on infrastructure, on markets, on digitalization, and research and innovation. Without all of these, it's not enough to, to just foresee bigger targets uh, for the different uh, renewable energy sources. And that is why we are now preparing this Fit for 55 package, precisely because these issues need to be addressed, addressed uh, through different instruments and in different legislative um, acts. It is a challenge. We remain optimistic. As said, we believe the last months have shown convergence or, or, or increasing convergence, at least at political level. Uh, we are working out on the details, but the big, big lines are clear. And uh, it's also clear we do need energy efficiency. We do need more renewables and we need innovative solutions uh, and make the best out of our research and innovation to really uh, be able to decarbonize our energy system. Thank you. For your attention. Thanks. Let me turn straight away to uh, Hildegard Bentele uh, from uh, uh, European Parliament. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for the floor, uh, and um, hello to my fellow uh, panelists. Um, I think if wind and solar energy would make the best contribution to EU's energy transformation, we would not have gathered here. While these uh, sources of renewable uh, energy have become an important part of the EU's energy mix and as the Understate Secretary of Poland has just stated it, we all do know that power generated from wind and solar energy fluctuates significantly. In addition, the power generated is often not produced where it is consumed. So we need storage and we need transport solutions. Hydrogen can be part of that solution. It can serve as an energy carrier, a fuel and feedstock, and is widely usable in various sectors, such as heavy industry, transport, and the building sector, which makes it an important tool on our path to climate neutrality, just as the colleague from the Commission described it. Our efforts should target at green hydrogen from renewable sources in the long term, but we will need low-carbon hydrogen for limited transition period. Low carbon hydrogen projects can facilitate a wider deployment of hydrogen and what is crucial, contribute to the upscaling of the market for hydrogen. 
crucial will be a reliable and safe infrastructure and a level playing field between hydrogen and competing technologies. The Parliament therefore encourages the Commission to revise several legislations and guidelines, such as the Renewable Energy Directive, the Alternative Fuels in Infrastructure Directive, the um, 10E and the uh, Emission Trading System, Energy Taxation and the Energy and Environment State Aid Rules. We also encourage the Commission to introduce comprehensive terminology and European-wide standards and criteria for the certification of hydrogen on the basis of life cycle emission assessments. But I'm not only a, a member of the Committee on Industry and Environment, I'm also a member of the Committee on Development. And in that role, the international dimension of our decisions is always close to my heart. As regards, hydrogen will have to rely to a certain percentage, percentage on imports, even if it can unlock our full potential in the European Union. I therefore encourage the Commission and the Member States to engage in their partnerships with third countries to secure and diversify our imports and to enable the exports of our skills, knowledge and technology in order to enable and strengthen sustainable business, but also to contribute to emission reduction outside the EU. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let me turn to Barbara Barieni now. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, um, inviting the European Environmental Bureau to this uh, to this debate. Uh, just uh, very briefly, the European Environmental Bureau is the is Europe's largest network of environmental citizens organization organizations, and we represent 160 um, organizations across 35 um, countries and. Um, Two main elements guide our climate work. One is scientific evidence, and the second is citizens' concerns. So both these elements point to the fact that we are in a climate emergency, and therefore we need to really uh, uh, take measures uh, quickly. Uh, regarding scientific evidence, I would like to mention two uh, main uh, references here. The first one is the IP. CC report of global warming 1.5, and the, the, the key message here is that uh, 1.5 degree is really the threshold above uh, beyond beyond which climate change impacts will become so impactful that they will really interfere with with life as we know it and uh, with our lifestyle uh, and really threaten our uh, life conditions. Therefore, uh, this is this is really the the. the the environmental target we need to keep in mind when we um, make decisions on policies and instruments on finance, etc. The second one is um, uh, the assessment made by the UN Environment Programme on, on global emissions gap, uh, which uh, keeps telling us that emissions are growing even in the during the COVID. Uh, uh, economic crisis uh, and associated responses, emissions have been growing. And um, it also tells us that uh, if we want to hit the 1.5 degree target, we need to uh, decrease uh, emissions on a global level by almost 8% 8, 8 per year starting now. And um, with these figures in mind, um, it has been assessed that for Europe, on the basis of population equity and historical responsibility, such effort corresponds to an emission reduction target of 65% by 2030 and reaching 
climate neutrality by 2040. So these are some um, basic figures I think we need to keep in mind when we talk about uh, how to decarbonize our energy system, but also our economy. And just to reply to the, to the question of today's debate, um, um, based on these assumptions, the, the European Environmental Bureau, together with CAN Europe, has uh, developed uh, an energy modeling scenario called the Paris Agreement Compatible Scenario, launched last year, which uh, shows that we can reach a fully 100% renewable energy grid by 2040. And uh, this um, uh, study also shows what I'm happy that has already been said by Mrs. Pino, um, that energy and material efficiency measures to reduce consumption together with rapid solar and wind increase until 2030 are the cheapest, but also the easiest options to scale up renewable energy potential, to double electricity generation to cover increasing demand from industry, transport and buildings, and also for electrolyzers. However, I would like to, 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 to point out on this, my message a bit, is a bit misaligned uh, with, with the previous speakers. Uh, when it comes to, 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 to hydrogen, the scenario highlights the very limited need for green hydrogen in our transition to neutrality. When I talk about green hydrogen, this is the only hydrogen that is really compatible with with a, with a, with a 1.5 degrees. So this is the only hydrogen we think should be promoted, should be uh, looked at when um, uh, looking at different options to decarbonize the energy grid. So the main takeaways of our study are basically we need to quickly phase out fossil fuels, coal, oil and gas, gas as soon as possible by 2030. Uh, we need to support only renewable hydrogen. Um, renewable electri electricity, electricity must come mainly from solar and wind. Uh, and also there are also other uh, renewable options that can be um, used, but the main two um, the main two are solar and wind to cover most of the demand and renewable heat, ambient heat, geothermal heat captured by heat pumps, pumps combined with district heat networks are uh, the options to decarbonize buildings. While when it comes to hydrogen, renewable hydrogen, we think that this technology should be left only to decarbonize hard to abate emissions in uh, uh, a few industrial sectors, uh, namely those sectors which need, uh, uh, which don't do not have uh, uh, another option, and which uh, need to cover demand demand for high temperature heat. When it comes to transport, uh, of course, uh, hydrogen can be used for uh, the decarbonization of aviation and shipping, but we we will not uh, uh, we do not, do not think this is a, a technology. To, to, to uh, for a wider decarbonization of transport. And I don't want to talk about transport right now because there are other issues uh, to, to be addressed. And definitely this is not an option for buildings because there are most cost-effective and cost-efficient and resource-efficient options to decarbonize buildings. Just the very last point I'd like to raise on two main issues. One is uh, the, 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 the... Barbara. Sorry? Yeah. No, uh, to, yeah, just one to is, wrap is, up now very quickly, yes. Yes, yes, quickly. There are there is huge potential in, in regions in transition, and this has already been pointed out by our 
Polish speaker, and uh, there is a, an unprecedented amount of finance to 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 start this uh, uh, economic and societal transformation right now, the recovery plan, but also the MFF. So there are opportunities to to embark on this right now. Thank you very much. Many thanks, Barbara. Uh, you're welcome, of course, to uh, raise a number of these topics later on during the Q and A. A debate. Let me uh, now turn to Christian Ruby from Euroelectric. Yeah, thank you. And um, and I agree with what Paula said. It's it's nice to have these provocative questions sometimes because it, it it sort of focuses the thinking. The first thing I thought of when when I saw this title was it's like Mulfrit. Uh, you can't really do Mul without Frit, or you need both. So so um, that's also the electric uh, approach to 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 the whole question of hydrogen. We need it. Uh, there's a there's a matter of proportions that needs to be respected, and and indeed the principle of energy efficiency first, of course, needs to guide how much hydrogen we have um, compared to direct electrification. Our approach in your electric is clearly that we uh, we need to look at direct electrification first. This is more uh, cost effective, it is more energy effective, and we avoid the energy penalty that comes with hydrogen. That said, there's no doubt that we need uh, massive amounts of hydrogen and we need a significant upscaling. When, however, looking at, at the whole complex of, of around um, Fit for 55, I have just a few um, observations here. The, the first one is that when we look at the build out needed in the power sector, we're, we're talking about around 500 gigawatts of additional capacity in, in, in 10 years. Um, first of all, that, that raises a, a number of questions about those uh, facilitating measures or the enabling measures that can bring us there uh, with such an upscaling, permitting, uh, market designs, infrastructure, and so on and so forth. Secondly, the question is, when you add so much capacity, what is it going to do to the market and how are you going to unlock the potential for not least uh, direct electrification? When we look at the impact assessment of the European Commission, we see only one percentage increase in the overall share of electricity in, in the total final energy consumption. And, and that's uh, in a period where you're gonna add another 500 gigawatts corresponding to almost half of the power system as we know it today. There's an imbalance there that we need to talk about and, and that we need to uh, analyze better. Looking at hydrogen, I think uh, it's important that, that we also uh, keep in mind what is it uh, what is it uh, for an energy system that we're going to have in 10 years. Um, in 10 years' time, more than 80% of all electricity production is carbon neutral. Now, do we make a system now that basically closes the door on using this grid system, which is is essentially almost clean because the rest of the, you know, the, the last 20% will predominantly be gas by then. So we have essentially a, a low carbon uh, power system by then. Uh, now, do we close the door on producing hydrogen directly from the grid? That would be a bad idea because essentially uh, this, this way of producing hydrogen would also help stabilize the grid. So there needs to be some thought about this and, and there needs to be a consistency across the many, many different pieces of legislation that we're dealing with now. Uh, the Fit for 55, the taxonomy, and so on and so forth. And my last point is that we, when looking at this Fit for 55, we really need to focus on, on the facilitating measures. Without a radical shift in the permitting regimes, we cannot do it. It's just not possible to build that much if all the 
uh, nation states, all the municipalities, everybody has a, a you know a right to to cancel projects or delay projects. This kind of build out will be very challenging. Thanks, Christian Ruby, for raising those issues. We'll certainly have um, a discussion about that later on in the debate. Uh, to close now the um, initial round of uh, uh, introductory speeches, let me turn uh, now to Pavel Panetta from the Torrent Group. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for inviting me here to this um, very interesting uh, discussion. Um, as per uh, Polish uh, perspective, um, uh, European Union is currently uh, reviewing, reviewing the uh, uh, energy le legislation, including the Renewable Energy Directive, and will come up uh, with um, very concrete uh, proposals uh, early this year. I think that's a very good uh, opportunity here to discuss uh, the, <clears throat> the development of uh, uh, renewable energy wind and uh, photovoltaics, including uh, support from hydrogen technologies that can ensure the very successful energy transition across Europe, uh, taking into account the very ambitious um, ambitious goals that was uh, that was stated. Uh, in Poland, from the perspective of um, uh, Polish Electricity Association, we think that this development should be based on uh, three actual three pillars. The first pillar is related with the integration of uh, renewable energy sources um, that uh, must be done through the uh, investments in uh, grid, especially uh, grids at the uh, distribution operator, operator system uh, level. Uh, it's because because uh, this is where the, the biggest number of, uh, of uh, small and medium scale uh, installations are being connected to. As, just to show you an example, in 2020, uh, in uh, Tau to Tauron's um, uh, distribution operator network grid, we connected um, uh, around uh, 100,000 micro installations with the total capacity of uh, about 700 megawatts. Uh, it's just in one year. Uh, this grid must be capable uh flexible and smart enough to uh to cope with um uh, with these new conditions uh uh with these new conditions uh taking this number of um, micro scale uh renewable energy sources taking into account the the weather conditions second of all uh, we think that second pillar is related with the administrative and financial support for the rest uh, renewable energy sources uh, development projects uh, that must stimulate this uh, this sector in uh, in europe uh, it's important to mention that uh, we think that um, the access to this support uh, must be uh, equal for all kind of entities small and medium uh, enterprises as well as big entities large entities like uh, european utilities why uh, large scale utilities they have uh, they are capable to uh, to deliver quicker and uh, bigger projects uh, just another example from our perspective in tauron we have a plan to deliver 900 megawatts in wind and 300 megawatts in photovoltaics up to uh, 2025. 
Tauron also plans to engage in uh, another offshore offshore pro pro project, uh, offshore offshore projects in uh, Baltic Sea. And uh, last but not least, a third pillar is related with the hydro hydrogen development, taking into account um, uh, the research and uh, innovation activities uh, uh, at the uh, national and uh, European level, taking into account te technology transfer. The, um, you know, the program uh, Horizon Europe can really help in this uh, in this field, but also uh, should uh, support the. Um, the development of um, uh, and deployment of um, uh, green hydrogen, uh, uh, green hydrogen technologies. Uh, as uh, we um, as we know, for example, in Tauron, that uh, you know, these kind of projects, especially in the uh, in the uh, in the large scale, are uh, let's say uh, economically not uh, viable viable at the at the moment. Uh, we also promote uh, in Poland the Polish perspective that uh, we should try not to be um, we should try to be neutral when it comes to technologies and uh, not to promote any kind of um, technologies. We should take into account um, all the time the CO2 emissions and um, uh, and energy efficiency. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Pavel uh, Ponetta. Uh, I understand uh, Hildegard Bentele has to leave a bit earlier, uh, so maybe I'll turn to you, uh, Hildegard, for the, uh, for the opening question. We heard during the opening um, keynote and the presentations about the huge challenge that there is to decarbonize and to ramp up renewable uh, production uh, in Poland, it's, it's, a, it's a massive undertaking because they're phasing out a, uh, an energy system which is uh, almost entirely dependent on coal. Uh, so uh, let us now maybe uh, for a minute turn to, to Germany because the challenge there is also enormous. Um, Europe, uh, the country is just about to finish uh, phasing out nuclear power that was promised um, just 10 years ago uh, after Fukushima. And uh, that is expected to, to, to close in 2022. Uh, and the country has also agreed on the phase-out strategy for coal. So how, how big is the challenge from your perspective? Um, and I'm thinking as well um, in terms of the elections, which are coming up later this year, what kind of uh, ideas uh, will the CDU party that you're a member of uh, will put forward? What are the discussions currently taking place within your political family? Well, there are many discussions are taking place currently. It's a hard time. But of course, we are looking to the future and we have to, of course, uh, provide a vision. And as you uh, said, uh, the latest target date for the fossil fuel phase out in Germany is 2038, end of 2022, the last of six remaining nuclear power plants will leave the grid. At the same time, the coalition agreement uh, contains the commitment to 65% uh, renewable energy in 2030 and a reduction of coal-fired power generation in line with the sectoral targets. Um, our, 
This is why um, we and uh, um, also mainly CDU, uh, we have established a pretty ambitious German hydrogen strategy and we have also put uh, quite a, a good amount of uh, financial means behind it, also under the a recon, uh, recovery facility. Um, and uh, um, but the problem is that we need to create uh, uh, much more. We, we need to create much more renewable energy. En energy, and this is um, as it was mentioned, um, also by the colleagues who are uh, observing the grids. It's not an easy task, uh, um, uh, and it's also not easy because we have very limited space in Germany. So our 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 potential to increase renewable energy is really uh, is really limited. Um, and also to to have it at the at the place where we need it. This is why we are in CDU a bit more generous uh, regarding also low carbon uh, energy. And I would also underline what uh, the colleagues uh, have said uh, regarding the use of the grids. Uh, I'm also coming from Berlin. Uh, over 60% of the of the houses are on the on the gas grid, and uh, um, it's possible to plant 20% of hydrogen into the into the in, into the heating grid. So we have to we have to measure we have to measure what is the most important to us and if you want to decrease uh, co2 emissions very fast and if you want to scale up the market for hydrogen uh, we are uh, persuaded that we need to have a transition period a clear limited transition period in which we uh, we, we deal still with gas we need uh, we also use the infrastructure for gas and we need a lot of support measures to build up the infrastructure, to build up the first plans, to increase demand uh, for hydrogen. So this will be a very crucial phase this uh, next nine years, which will pass very fast. It's a very short uh, time regarding investments. Um, so uh, we, we have to do a little bit of everything and we should not exclude from, uh, from the beginning technologies and and, and, and and possibilities also in transport if I have I would like to refer to uh, Madame Mariani uh, we would not exclude currently uh, hydrogen also from transport uh, also we have to look at uh, aviation at, mar at the maritime sector so we also have to look at Asia where uh, hydrogen is very much used uh, uh, and, and we should not uh, cut off ourselves from this kind of solutions um, so we have a very broad uh, uh, approach to, to hydrogen and um, uh, as we have seen in the last elections where uh, our liberal colleagues have fully embraced this broad abro uh, abro uh, approach to hydrogen in, in our southern federal state Baden-Württemberg where the uh, uh, car industry is located, uh, they were rewarded by having this, uh, promoting this broad approach and being very positive about hydrogen. So. We put a lot of uh, hope into these new technologies since we face this double um, this double uh, um, challenge, going without nuclear, going without coal. So uh, for us, hydrogen is really a very and, and have limited uh, capacity for renewables. Uh, we have to uh, really invest and, and promote hydrogen now. And also, what I said, nobody was referring to that. We have to import hydrogen, and also the German government is fostering energy partnerships. We can see in Saudi Arabia, we have uh, countries who turn from uh, fossil fuel uh, providers, they turn into hydrogen producers. And I think we should also use this uh, opportunity to diversify our, um, our, our imports, because at least in Germany, we will continue to re rely on them.
Thank you, Mrs. Bentele. Uh, let me turn now to uh, Paula uh, Pino. Uh, a question for you. Uh, the, the European Commission, uh, has, as you said in your uh, initial statement, has clearly prioritised renewables in its hydrogen uh, strategy. Uh, but how can we make sure that enough renewables will be uh, made available for hydrogen production, given the fact that a lot more will be needed for direct electrification uh, as well. So, uh, in other words, um, have you quantified uh, this in terms of your objectives for 2030 uh, in, in the hydrogen strategy? Thank you. Um, thank you, Frederic. Well, and indeed, and I have to emphasize here that um, from the Commission's uh, perspective, our, our main objective and the vision is really to develop uh, renewable uh, hydrogen. Uh, but we do acknowledge that in order to speed up the decarbonization of existing hydrogen uh, production and to allow for a rapid upscaling, we will also need low carbon hydrogen uh, in the transition. So just uh, to, to, to clarify this, then in terms of, of, of the needs, and you're absolutely right, uh, the uh, electricity needs will uh, increase significantly and therefore this would need to also be matched with a much much higher penetration of renewable energy sources into the grid we have set up in the hydrogen uh, strategy uh, a target an eu target for um, uh, renewable uh, electrolyzers of uh, 40 gigawatt by uh, by 2030 we are encouraged by uh, looking already at what member states are putting into place and i have to say that this would have been unthought of only a few years ago but already when you look into the national energy and climate plans where this is being um, noticed but also now in dedicated hydrogen uh, strategies and 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 um uh, and the secretary uh, just mentioned it also from from poland um, we are seeing an increasing um, a number of EU member states who do foresee uh, the production of um, hydrogen and uh, renewable hydrogen. Um, we see that uh, according to the latest information we have, more uh, EU member states have pledged to more than 25 gigawatt of uh, renewable uh, hydrogen um, electrolyzers by 2030. So it is uh, reassuring. And we are, of course, also counting with um, a, a bigger share of renewable energy in the final energy consumption. That we, is why we're also proposing to further increase the targets. We, You know that we have a current target for 2030, which was of at least 32 0.5% uh, um, of the share of renewables in the final energy consumption. We believe that in order to deliver on the 55 reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, we would have to go up to 38 to 40% of uh, share of renewables in the final energy uh, consumption. But that is why really we are also putting the signals both on the regulatory front, but also in terms of, of uh, investments uh, that could trigger that additional um, capacity and that are, are prone to trigger that additional capacity that will indeed be needed. Thanks, Paolo Pino. Uh, let me turn uh, to Christian uh, Ruby now. 
Um, obviously, there's, there's a lot of pressure now being exerted on the electricity industry to deliver on these very ambitious uh, uh, renewables target uh, that are needed uh, to deliver not, not just green hydrogen, but for direct electrification as well. Uh, how can the industry now rise to this challenge? And what are the main bottlenecks that you've identified? Well, I think there's pressure. Uh, I think there's pressure, frankly, on, on everybody because it, it's the, the climate challenge is not just one of the electricity industry. It's a societal challenge. And, and I would actually say when I look at what needs to be done now, there's no doubt that there's a lot of pressure on us. But, but for me, the, the biggest pressure is really uh, on, on politicians, on policymakers and on regulators to align the rules so that you can unleash the forces of the industry. Because once those, the, those, uh, those frameworks are there and, and the ability to act is there, there's no doubt that the industry will accelerate. Uh, the money is there. Uh, private investors are very keen to invest in all this. And, um, and the will and the competence is there in the industry. It's really a matter of getting the business cases right and, and removing the barriers that we're facing. So what are those barriers? Well. I, I want to echo what was said by our tower and colleague. I, th I think uh, we really are not talking enough about distribution grids. Um, distribution grids needed uh, or, or used to be, you know, the last mile in a one-way street to the customer. Uh, today, they're rapidly moving in to become the center of the new energy system because we have so many decentralized installations. I think it was very fascinating to hear what, what Tauron was facing in very practical terms, 100,000 installations in one year. And I can tell you that over the next 10 years, 70% of those 500 gigawatts will be installed and connected at distribution level. There is a huge need for us to modernize those grids. Um, around a third of them are more than 40 years old. That figure is gonna be 50% uh, by 2030. So we need to modernize, we need to digitize, and we need to massively invest here. Now, this is a regulated business. That means we need to have the green light of the regulator to do it. So we need to modernize the tariff systems and we need to make sure that regulators give DSOs the space to invest and react to those many things that are going on in the market. This is a critical thing to look at uh, if we want to get this right. The other thing I want to repeat is about the permitting. No matter where you look in Europe, you're seeing permitting issues. We're talking five, six, seven years of delays to permits. And you can do the math yourself. We're in 2021 now. We want to have half a new energy system by 2030, right? If we wait six years for all the permits, we're nowhere by 2030. So we need politicians to, to make that consequential change to the permitting regimes Otherwise, there is an immediate risk over those political ambitions. Um, so those would be the two main things I would highlight here. Uh, Christian Ruby, uh, there's uh, recovery plans now which are being uh, put together at the national level. Uh, how would you recommend um, national governments, which are currently drawing up those plans, uh, to, to prioritize in those, I understand maybe distribution grids, uh, in your view, should be prioritized uh, when, when drawing up these plans? 
Absolutely, and and we can see that this is one element that's that's uh, pretty much totally overlooked in in the 10E regulation. Um, fair enough, we're talking transborder or cross-border installations, but is cross-border in this energy transition really, you know, uh, line from country A to country B, or is it a matter of making sure that the you know that the green transition becomes a cross-border success? I think we need to expand our mindset a little bit with regard to what we mean with cross-border. So yes, absolutely make sure that those recovery plans help uh, the necessary reinforcements and modernizations of the distribution grids of Europe. A second point I'll point to um, is uh, infrastructure for uh, e-mobility. Again, here's something that's obviously cross-border, but it's not necessarily a, a, a line from A to B. It is something that we need all of us in all countries to have if we want to have 40 to 70 million electric cars on the roads by 2030. So here's another obvious area um, for, for, uh, for countries to prioritize to make sure that, that we get that rollout. We're talking, you know, millions of charging points by 2025 and we're at some 200,000 today. So you can see this is another exponential scale up that we need to get right, not only in the interest of the citizens or the electricity industry, certainly also in the interest of the car industry, which provides some 12 or 14 million jobs in Europe. So we really need to think of this uh, in, 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 you know, in broader societal terms and make sure that we get a holistic view at what we're doing. Thank you, Christian Ruby. Uh, Hildegard Bentele, I see you're, you're still there and you were uh, nodding when Christian Ruby mentioned uh, the need to invest heavily in distribution grids. Uh, is that something uh, that you agree on? And maybe, you know, again, in view of the political renewal, which is um, uh, being prepared uh, in Germany, uh, have you got uh, plans to develop further those? I mean, the, the Germany hasn't been um, really the best uh, pupil in the class, uh, especially when it comes to cross-border uh, infrastructure. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I was nodding because it's 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 very obvious, and I mean, we have seen in the United States where uh, old grids and, and not enough investments into infrastructure have led. So I think that's a very, uh, and we also have problems with our digital uh, grids and infrastructure. So it's really a uh, it's alarm clock is 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 ringing, and um, uh, please be <laughs> assured that uh, also in in my party that we will bring this to paper and we will run on this kind of program because we need really very important investments into infrastructure. It was mentioned in the in infrastructure of of charging points. I think uh, Germany is not bad. I know at least for hydrogen, we have most of the charging points are in in, in Germany. Um, but also the grid uh, um, uh, has, ha has had instabilities also, and, and so it, it, it's obvious. And, and I, think, uh, I think this also discussion today <laughs> and, and, um, and the, the recommendations by our colleagues who are in charge of the grids uh, and also the, the, the connecting of many micro uh, installations, because this is also something which is uh, uh, taking up now and it, this is certainly also wanted by the by the citizens, which are represented by uh, Madame Mariani. Uh, we are encouraging the citizens to put solar panels on their on their roofs. So, but we also have to guarantee that they are connected and that they do not destabilize our our grids. So, um, this point is taken up. <laughs> be be uh, 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 be uh, assured. 
And uh, I was listening because it's so interesting, but now I really, I have to leave. But I took this up and I will bring this also into our programs uh, and also pay attention that this will be considered in our uh, recovery plan. Thank you very much. Barbara Mariani, I was putting that question to you about the role of civil society organization uh, like yours, the European Environmental Bureau, who are in touch with the citizens on the ground. How can organizations such as yours can help drive uh, the transition towards uh, renewable energies, uh, given sometimes that there, are, uh, that there can be resistance to building new power lines, to building new wind turbines? This is something that we've seen happening in Germany, but also in France and other places. So how can, how can your types of, of organizations contribute? Yes, thank you, Frederick. Um, so um, it's um, absolutely key uh, to, to involve citizens in energy infrastructure planning. And uh, we have been uh, advocating for this uh, uh, for a long time. And also our Paris Agreement compatible energy modernist scenario has been built together with the national environmental associations. There are a few uh, rules to to, 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 to to respect if we want this process to work. First of all, citizens must be engaged timely and not at the very last minute. So they must feel that they, they are really an important player in energy infrastructure planning and, and design. Uh, they need to be informed, well informed, and they need to have uh, the right uh, opportunities to uh, express their views and to uh, and to uh, and, and to give voice to, to to their concerns. This can work, but uh, clearly, what need what is most re uh, required is um, um, national governments' uh, participation because it is at national level that this process needs to be very well uh, managed and uh, guided. Otherwise. Um, some projects will, will always find uh, opposition if uh, um, citizens have not been um, um, engaged, as, as, I, as, as I said, through a very structured and regular uh, dialogue uh, through their own governments. So the big obstacle is national governments. And we are advocating for this to improve in many uh, current uh, legislation that are uh, being uh, negotiated, like the climate law, like we have done this in the recovering and resilience facility, and we are pushing for this in the national recovery plan. We need, governments need to consult their citizens timely. They need to inform them. They need to take into account their concerns. Otherwise, we, will, can, we, we cannot face this challenge together. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara Mariani. Let me turn to Pavel Panetta, maybe from uh, for a national perspective there. We, uh, we saw that citizens can sometimes uh, be an obstacle to the deployment of, of new renewables. Uh, they can also help it when they install solar panels, for example, on their roof. Um, how is that being managed uh, in Poland? How do you manage that as uh, an electricity group uh, yourself? And maybe more generally speaking, what do you see as the key uh, bottlenecks for the deployment of more renewable energies um, in Poland? As, um, as I, uh, especially in the, uh, as I already mentioned, uh, cases related to um, 
uh, to the distribution operator system, uh, especially and uh, at the uh, low voltage uh, and the middle voltage uh, grids. This is a key for the moment. Um, the low voltage grids in general in Europe uh, for for the decades was um, uh, under invested. Um, and uh, we have no um, or, or uh, almost no um, smartness, I would say, uh, in this field um, and uh, no, almost no flexibility. Uh, so uh, it's, it's uh, very important, first of all, to introduce the, the, the flexibility aspects uh, to this uh, grid. Uh, I would say I would say um, uh, there is a need for um, for a quick deployment of um, uh, quick deployment of uh, storage mechanisms uh, and uh, uh, and uh, not only battery uh, battery storage but also a different kind of uh, of storage which we should uh, uh, we should bring to the discussion also hydrogen in this field there are different uh, concepts in this uh, in this subject. Uh, so um, yeah, that's um, that's a key uh, key key aspects a key aspect in this uh, in this field. I would say um, uh, I would say this uh, this is some the most important when when it comes to this um, this 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 question. Okay, staying with you for just uh, for one more question. Uh, as you know, the, uh, the European Commission is preparing a package of legislation in June. Uh, so the Renewable Energy Directive, the Energy Efficiency Directive, for example, is up for revision. Uh, how do you think these two directives could be reformed to help uh, accelerate the deployment of renewables? Mm, I would say the... the there are different um, there are different um, uh, parts of that uh, there will be uh, of course um, uh, uh, financial resources uh, uh, that will come up together with uh, with uh, with uh, with this uh, uh, administrative and um, uh, administrative and and uh, the, the the financial support will come up together with with that. Uh, we have a, a modernization fund that was uh, that is coming up together, and um, yeah. Okay, thank you, um, Mrs. Uh, Paula Pino. Let me uh, return to you. We, we've heard from the different uh, speakers today about the, the the bottlenecks that they see. Um, standing in the way of uh, the, the acceleration of the deployment of renewables, whether it's infrastructure, uh, grids, um, or, or, or the uh, generation capacity in itself. Um, what is the European Commission's um, view on this uh, so far? I guess you've been doing quite a bit of analysis now in preparation of the Fit for 55 package. So what are the main bottlenecks uh, that you've identified uh, standing in the way of the deployment of renewables? 
Thank you, Frederic. Um, well, we started indeed already, and actually, um, some of it is already on the table. And I'm referring um, in particular to the 10E regulation, uh, where uh, we have notably um, in the revision of the 10E, which we put forward last uh, at the end of last year and is now subject to, to co-decision, um, we have uh, included in the revision uh, two new infrastructure categories. Um, and dedicated hydrogen pipelines and large-scale electrolyzers. So really this in an attempt to reflect the needs that we will have for, 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 for hydrogen and uh, electrolyzers. Um, in this um, same context, we also uh, are proposing to task uh, the European networks of transmission system operators, both for electricity and gas, to work together and to start preparations for the future planning and development of a hydrogen pipeline backbone and large-scale electrolyzers. Uh, so this in terms of already what we have tried to tackle within the 10E, and on this I also would like to pick up uh, Christian's uh, point, where um, uh, Christian indicated that not enough has been done when it comes to, to distribution. Well, there, this is something that we do intend to tackle, and we do see the need to tackle in uh, another uh, uh, of, of the, the legislative proposals that will be uh, put forward later this year, not directly as part of the Fit for 55 in, in June, but the legislative framework um, for decarbonized gases and hydrogen. And by the way, the public consultation on this one is ongoing, is uh, uh, is now open, and I, I encourage uh, all of you who are interested to to contribute to that uh, public consultation. And there, the idea is really to also target the market rules and make sure that we um, do design a competitive market for decarbonized gases and 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 hydrogen, and precisely to make it possible for such. Uh, renewable and low carbon gases to enter the market, to have access to distribution. So that's uh, another uh, set of challenges that we will tackle through this uh, uh, legal proposal later in the year. And now through uh, the renewables directive, for instance, one of the aspects we are looking into is um, uh, to look for a comprehensive uh, terminology and certification of uh, low carbon and uh, renewable fuels as uh, actually has also been uh, asked for or referred to by um, MEP uh, Bentele in her in her initial introduction. So just to give you some examples of uh, the issues that we are tackling or have already tackled uh, in the case of the 10E regulation where we've put it forward and now it's being uh, negotiated with both the European Parliament and, and the Council. Thanks, Paolo Pino. Uh, let me turn to you, maybe, Christian Ruby, for um, a quick comment on the 10E regulation, which is being reviewed uh, now. This is about energy infrastructure, for those who don't know 10E. Um, are, they, uh, are there, um, uh, in your view, Christian Ruby, some no-regret options uh, there when it comes to uh, the development of hydrogen infrastructure, whether we're talking about uh, the retrofitting of gas pipelines for, for transporting hydrogen or for uh, storing hydrogen or, or, or indeed electrolyzers for, for producing it? 
Well, let me start by saying that that when I refer to distribution grids, I was really talking about electricity grids. We need to remember that a lot of the um, a lot of the hydrogen will be based on electricity, uh, and on top of that comes those massive investments in renewables that will also be carried via the electricity grids. So when I talk about the need for investments in distribution grids, it's really electricity grids I'm talking about. Now back to your question about the 10E and, and what about the hydrogen component there and what about the ele electrolyzers. Um, I think this is all uh, stuff that, that we uh, by and large welcome in your electric. I think it was important to say that, that what we really felt was needed with the 10E was that we take a significant shift towards focusing on electricity infrastructure. I think that move has been made by the commission and, and that's very welcome because it is really the, going to be the center of the new energy system. And that's why we need to focus our, our efforts there. That said, yes, uh, it's fine to have uh, investments in, in some, some targeted, limited, I would say, um, hydrogen corridors, because we need to reflect the fact that even by 2050, um, hydrogen will, will come, you know, uh, account for some 10% maximum of total final energy consumption. So we really need to make sure that the infrastructures we're building today are fit for that long-term future and that we don't overbuild in areas where we won't need it. Um, electrolyzers, expanding the category uh, of infrastructure uh, investments to, to, to cover that, fine. Uh, but again, what we see missing is uh, the focus on how to modernize Europe's uh, um, distribution grids, electric distribution grids. And I'm not sure that that the proposals that will come uh, later this year, as, as, as Paula mentioned, uh, would be fit to address those issues. Those are about the frameworks um, at, at national level, not least uh, the, the tariff frameworks. And it's about ensuring a different type of, of cooperation with the regulators. Um, this, this will be really critical. But we also should look, in my view, to the, to the structural funds and make sure that as part of the recovery packages, as part of the structural fund spending, that we really make sure that we, we support uh, the renewal and modernization of the European electricity grids. Thank you. Uh, maybe a quick reaction on this from you, um, uh, Pavel Panetta, about the uh, revision of uh, infrastructure uh, guidelines uh, at European level. How do you expect this to support uh, the uh, deployment uh, of renewables and, and hydrogen in Poland? Uh, just to uh, just to mention that uh, I fully agree on what uh, Christian just uh, just uh, mentioned. Uh, um when it comes to hydrogen um it's uh, it's a very uh, high topic at the moment uh, we have uh, uh, several strategies uh, the one from the uh, european one the, the german and the, the polish that uh, com came up uh, the last uh, last year i think that there are three key subjects when it comes to the hydrogen development uh, within the um, uh, european union it's uh, the first and um, uh, the, the important one is the, you know, the financial support for uh, projects that uh, is related with um, you know, the green hydrogen, as um, we have, um, uh, if we approved in uh, uh, several, uh, uh, several uh, uh, profitability studies uh, that was made, feasibility study that was made here in Tauron shows that uh, 
this um, this kind of projects are uh, shows negative um, um, economical uh, analysis, uh, especially in uh, in capex, but uh, also in opex. Uh, that's why it it really really needs strong uh, support from uh, uh, from uh, uh, from uh, different uh, different funds. Additionally, there is a strong need for uh, for regulations in this field. It's uh, uh, it's really it's really expected. Market really expects the the uh, the EU hydrogen directive on that uh, that can be later on transferred on uh, national law on the on the subjects that will cover the different uh, aspects. Uh, like um, safety um, and, and many many other things, and then uh, last but not least, um, there is a um, the strong need to develop the technologies at the uh, at the European level. Level um, there is a, a strong need for a technology transfer among uh, among um, member states in this uh, in this field. So there must be common um, research and innovation projects that can support uh, all these um, all these uh, aspects. Right. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Pavel. Uh, maybe before we close, um, uh, I will ask each one of you to uh, summarize in a few sentences the main message that you would like our audience today uh, to, to take away uh, with them. Um, and uh, maybe since you just had the floor now, Pavel Panetta, we can start with you. What, what will be, would be your main takeaway message for today? Uh, yeah, the, there are several points uh, that I would like to say, but uh, the, the key is um, uh, the, the key subject here is um, uh, are the grids, especially in the at the DSO level. Uh, um, low and uh, medium voltage are very important these days when it comes to uh, renewable energy sources uh, development. There is uh, a key aspects, uh, aspect related to funds, especially new technologies, and this access should be uh, equal for different kind of entities, large scale, but uh, small scale and large scale uh, entities. Uh, we should uh, look very closely to hydrogen technologies, but not uh, only on green one. There should be there should be um, uh, there should be um, uh, we should look much more on CO2 emissions and uh, effectiveness when it comes to investment rather than uh, promoting um, promoting um, specific technology. Uh, so we try we should be neutral when this when it comes to the, to the technology that is um, uh, that is um, selected. Uh, namely, we should be uh, color blind, um, but uh, we should rather look at the CO2 emissions related and the effectiveness of this kind of uh, this kind of uh, projects. So these are my messages. Thank you, Christian Ruby. Um, just one takeaway message from your side. Yes, let's not forget that the single biggest thing that needs to happen over the next 30 years is direct electrification, upscaling of the electricity system and increased use of electricity in end use sectors. It is the single biggest thing that needs to happen and that needs to stay center in our thinking and our regulation of the energy sector. Second, 
let's make sure that we build the infrastructure for that purpose now and we make those investments now. That spells distribution grids for electricity. Third, in order to do this, we need to have a radical shift in the permitting regimes. Uh, this is a critical precondition for us to achieve these targets. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. Uh, Barbara Mariani, uh, your concluding thoughts. Yes, just uh, in a nutshell, we um, we think we need to, first of all, uh, reduce our energy and resource use. And this is uh, um, absolutely key if we want to uh, uh, also uh, reduce our pressure on energy uh, sources. And therefore, um, our main um, uh, message is uh, um, trying to, to put as much effort as possible on in, uh, in energy and resource efficiency, um, um, energy resource uh, consumption uh, reduction. And uh, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, decarbonizing uh, the grid, the decarbonizing the system, the energy system, we need to focus on uh, uh, truly uh, renewable sources, meaning only green hydrogen and only for very limited uses, as I said before, and, uh, um, and uh, try to um, uh, use um, all the opportunities we have today with technologies we already have available uh, that are already quite cost competitive uh, and we, uh, we we cannot lose time and and we, we need to we cannot waste time and we need to do this in this decade and so we hope that the fit for 55 package will take all these uh, on board and will enable this uh, um, radical transformation of the way we we, we we produce and consume when it comes to uh, using energy thank you very much and Paola Pinot, you have the privilege of, uh, of closing uh, this virtual conference. Your concluding thoughts and main uh, takeaway message for our audience. Thank you. And I do take away also your, your input, I would say, on, uh, uh, from my side. Well, um, first, energy efficiency, electrification, renewable fuels, including hydrogen, are not alternative pathways to decarbonization, but are really uh, complementary. Uh, this is also why setting higher targets um, is not sufficient uh, to deliver on decarbonization. And uh, for this reason, we are looking into a range of policy options to help upscaling renewable and low carbon energy, which includes options to support infrastructure, uh, so options to support the creation of efficient markets where electricity, gas, fuels and heating are more closely coupled. Uh, options to digitalize uh, uh, the grid and to uh, unlock flexibility and uh, options to increase continued research and innovation to bring the new technologies to the market and scale up uh, their use. Thanks, uh, Paolo Pino. Uh, I think this wraps up uh, today's event. Thanks to uh, PKE for supporting it. Thanks as well to our panelists uh, for taking the time to be uh, with us today, as well as to our viewers uh, for following us uh, on Vimeo. Apologies uh, for the technical issues that we had today. Uh, we'll hopefully address them uh, the next time. And in case you like the debate, well, uh, you'll be able uh, to view it again in full in a few minutes. The video will be posted 
on YouTube. Uh, just uh, check our, uh, our YouTube channel for that. And um, if you're interested um, about uh, forthcoming Euractive events, you're welcome to check our online page events.euractive.com for more detail. Um, so I think that wraps it up for me. So hope to see you again soon. Stay safe and bye for now.